listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Ushers are coming forward with Bibles, and if you do not have a Bible here today or do not own a Bible, we would love for you to take one of those Bibles that are being passed out or available at the back tables. Uh, take that home with you. Uh, we want everyone to have a bi- Bible. We believe the Bible is just not a book. It is, the, it is the mighty, it is the powerful Word of God that we can build our lives upon a, the solid foundation that is is there for us. This past week, we, um, over the last, we're almost two years old as a church, and we've gone through a lot of Bibles, praise the Lord. It, it, it's a great thing that, to have to reorder more Bibles. And uh, this week, our, our Bible uh, total went down a little bit more in our inventory, and soon we're going to be needing to order some more. One of the men in our church found out that the RCMP holding cells here in Kelowna, there were no Bibles. That, uh, believe it or not, they'd all been stolen. They had had some, but they, they've, they've all been taken from from their jail cells, which we trust is a good thing. Hopefully they're not used to, to roll things, but used to, to read, you know, and, uh, and so all the Bibles disappeared, and so he came by the church office and picked up some Bibles and delivered them there so that, that uh, inmates that are in there or people who are being held for various reasons, guilty or innocent, wherever it is that they would have a copy of God's Word, and so it's, it's great for us to be able to do that. We believe God's Word can change the heart of a criminal. He can change your heart, too. And that he can, can and, and he wants to keep doing that, and his word is so powerful. Um, and, and today, as we, we begin a short sermon series, we're starting in, in the book of Hebrews. I'm, I'm going to have you look at Hebrews 6 in a moment, and then Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to park in chapter 10, but we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 6. And, and we're calling this, this sermon series, uh, as we get ready for a new ministry year, we're calling it get anchored, or, or just calling it anchored, and, and uh, would you agree with me when you watch the news, when you listen to it, when you read it, however, whatever form you get the news today, or maybe you don't even like listening or reading the news, you don't want to know what's happening. I'm finding that more and more when I talk to people and say, hey, did you hear that this went on? They're like, huh? They have no idea. They don't want to know what is going on in the world because it's such bad news. Would you agree with me that we are in a rapidly declining culture? Totally. I mean, it's crazy. I, I was even thinking about it, that, that what if you were to go back, let, let's say here, what is it, August 28th, um, 2016. Now, you've come into the movie theater, and I'm going to say to you right now, uh, let's go back in time five years from now. So that would be August 28th, 2000 and. 11, some of you know math, good. And so now we're sitting in here, it's 2011, and we're going to watch on the screen the news from 2016. So we're going to watch the current news five years ago, and, or, or, or five years in the past. I think we would sit here, we wouldn't be eating popcorn, we would be sitting with our jaws dropping and saying, no way, that can't be happening First of all, you mean Trump is running for president? I mean, that would be probably a jaw-dropper right there. But then all the other things that we're seeing that's happening in our world. And just to see this rapidly, rapidly declining culture around us. And we believe, what do you do when a, a, a culture is rapidly declining? Well, we look to the Word of God. 
And some of the time this fall, we're going to be looking at what God did 2,000 years ago in a rapidly declining culture in the book of Acts. And we see how, a tra- how, how the world was changed and transformed, not through political party, not by having the right, having the right king or, or, or the person emperor in charge or whoever that might be. Change did not come through military might. It didn't come through economic policies. Change that turned this world upside down came as God's people were anchored in the word of God and with humble prayers and humble service, ignited by the Holy Spirit, changed the world, turned the world upside down through the power of the gospel. And these kind of changes can happen today to the individual, to the family, to the church, to the community, to a city, to a nation. And I'm praying that this fall, that, that, and as we go into 2016, that we would be anchored in what we are seeing that is happening in the world, that we would be stirred in our hearts and know that God is greater. He's greater than anything that we're facing, that we'd have a stronger and a greater passion for, for Him, for His Word, for His people, that we would have lives that are being transformed. And it doesn't start with the person sitting next to you. It doesn't start with, with that person in the back, you know, somewhere here in the worship center or at home who didn't come to church today. That transformation starts in me. Oh, God, do a new work, a fresh work. Transform my heart. Transform my life. And that starts with being anchored. What are we being anchored in? And the key verse here, just love this verse and and, uh, just think that, that it just speaks volumes. We have this sure and steady anchor of the soul. In a world that is changing, that is shifting, where there's storm clouds arising and people are getting battered and torn all over the place, we have a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. What's anchoring our lives? You see, no sailor would ever go out to sea without an anchor. No way. I mean, you could have the best crew, could have just really good sails, brand new sails that are all good. You could have a compass. But there's going to come a time that that anchor is going to be relied upon desperately and would never think of going into the high seas without an anchor. And we too need to have our souls anchored. We need to have our souls anchored, our lives anchored, our families anchored, our, our church anchored in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have the one of whom the Word promised and and that is Jesus and so we have a sure and a steadfast anchor for our souls. Last Sunday night um, around sunset the wind started to blow around the Kelowna area and and it began to blow pretty uh, in a pretty nasty way. Um, Clarice was coming from home from work shortly after 9 p.m. and 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 she noticed that the neighbor's basketball hoop fell over and had blown into the middle of the street and so so able to move that her and her friend moved that and and got that back into place and and uh, and thinking wow this is crazy and 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 there were power outages and that and and I guess the next day I read that winds were recorded at uh, uh, between 50 and 80 kilometers an hour. And I kind of thought, 50 and 80, I mean, that's not that strong. I mean, I guess it's strong for the Okanagan. Uh, that's just a gentle breeze for, on the prairies. It really is. I mean, in, in Saskatchewan, you we are thankful for a breeze like that of 80 kilometers an hour because it would blow all the mosquitoes over to Manitoba. Let them deal with that, you know. But, but here, we're not used to 80 kilometer an hour winds. And, and so Monday morning revealed some significant damage. And, and Charlotte, around noontime, Charlotte 
Charlotte and I were around the downtown area, and, and it was so sad to see some beautiful trees, I, we, picture of it here, that were, were uprooted. I mean, these were, were, were just, I mean, some trees that have had some good years already and, and significant-sized trees, and it was just amazing just to see the roots and everything just exposed and the ground just kind of heaped up all around it, and you're like, man, that, that's terrible, you know, to see that, and, and sad to think that, that um, th- these trees were now being chopped up and turned into into firewood, I guess, one day, or, or uh, wood chips or something like that. And, and then the marina, walking around there and just seeing um, some, some pleasure crafts that uh, are no longer going to be giving all that much pleasure for the next little while, and, and a lot of damage to, to the marina here in Kelowna. And, and, and even this picture of, of, of the, this airplane that wasn't, wasn't fastened, wasn't anchored, wasn't, wasn't uh, uh, tied down enough, and, and so it suffered some damage and got tossed around. And, and whatever was not well-rooted, the trees that were not well-rooted, uh, whatever was not held secure, whatever was not anchored, became susceptible to the wind and to the storm. And in the same is so true for our own lives, that if we are not anchored, if we are not secure in the Word of God, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, if our roots are not going down, we will fall in the storms of life. We, but we have a sure and a steadfast anchor, and we need to get anchored. And, and so we're going to look, at, look about that. And, and the good news is, is that we have hope. We have hope in the Word of God. We have hope in Jesus Christ. We can have this sure and steadfast anchor. And the book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were struggling. The storm clouds were rising for these Christians. They were struggling to hold fast to the promises of the word. The storms, there was persecution that was mounting. There was distraction that was happening. There was also uh, some, some of the persecution they were facing from outside sources, but then some were from family members because these people had given their hearts to Christ, and so their family members were, were, were persecuting and making it hard for them. There wasn't the prosperity. There wasn't the ease, the comfort that maybe they thought life in Christ would bring them. It was hard. It was diff- difficult. They were being persecuted, annihilated for for their belief in Jesus Christ, and so some were being tempted because of the storms of life, of discouragement, doubt, and, and and the distractions that would come along. Some of them were being tempted to walk away from their faith or to go back to their old ways and and to their old customs and go back to the uh, performing the sacrifices. And so the whole first ten chapters, if you were to read the book of Hebrews, the first ten chapters, right up into verse 18 of chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews is laying down some of the deepest doctrine found in the Bible regarding Jesus and the promises of God and the person uh, and uh, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He lays down this foundation and it can easily be summarized. If you want to summarize the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews, you can write this down. I encourage you to write it down. It's going to be on the screen in a moment. Here it is, three words, Jesus is better. It's all about the supremacy of Jesus and that Jesus is better than anything that, that we will ever face. And, and he walks them through the Old Testament history. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's, he's, greater, he's a greater high priest than Aaron. They held Aaron up as the ultimate high priest. And Jesus is greater than him. He's greater than any sacrifices that were, had ever been made. He was once for all the sacrifice for all. Jesus is a better mediator between God and man. A mediator of, of the covenant. He is the one who's instituted the new covenant. The old covenant is no longer needed 
He's brought in the new covenant. And so he lays down this foundation here, and it can be summarized, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. Jesus is better than any storm that you will face. And so the first 10 chapters are about this, and, and he just builds this, and he reminds us over and over again. There are fantastic verses of just reminding us who Jesus Christ is and the confidence that we can have in the work of Christ. And then he comes to verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, where we're going to pick this up right away. And we see where the the doctrine of the first 10 chapters and 18 verses are now moving into behavior. Now that we know all this, it's kind of like the the lawyer who's been building, building, building the case. And then you see in, in verse 19, you see that big word, therefore. And so he goes from doctrine to now behavior. Here's the duty. Here's how you live. In, in light of these 10, 10, 10 chapters and all these truths, here's how you should now live. Here is what you should do. It goes from instruction and teaching to now exhortation and, and practice, how to live this out. And so in, verse chap, in, in chapter 10, verse 19, Hebrews 10, I'm going to read here. You can follow along. It says, therefore, so once again, whatever, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you ask yourself the question, what is it? Therefore, and so in light of all of these things, in light of these 10 chapters and all these truths, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. You think, well, what's that all about? That's, that's, that seems kind of deep. What, what's he saying? Well, I mean, I was looking for, for some real punch here. You know, what does this all mean? It means Jesus is better. And here's three ways that he's better. We now have access. We now have an advocate. And we have an anchor. Jesus is better and he provides for us access. An advocate and he's an anchor. You see, when Christ was hanging on the cross for the sacrifice of our sins, it just wasn't another criminal dying on the cross. It was so much more than that. When he took his last breath and said, it is finished, and when he took that last breath, we see in Matthew chapter 27 that the veil in the temple was torn in two. And you just think of veil, you know, like just a piece of cloth that, you know, just rip. No, it was like 60 feet by 30 feet by 4 to 6 inches thick thick of cloth like it was one heavy heavy curtain and that curtain when he died when he took his last breath that veil was torn in two from top to bottom that was significant that was amazing what took place and God did that work in a declaration for all of us to be able to approach now our God with great confidence. He made it possible for us to have access. And and here you even see a picture of the temple in Jerusalem. And and here's just an artist kind of rendition of what we see in the Word of God. And you can find them all over on the internet. Great, great to be able to take and read and study and some fascinating, fascinating things here. But you have to understand that the temple was basically a series of obstructions and obstacles between God and man. With God at the very center and and man in, in, in his, in her various forms, somewhere outside the temple. 
and, and outside the courtyard. And, and even there, just in the forefront, you, you see kind of on, on the left-hand side, you see that one wall. And, 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 and you see these walls, these obstacles, and only certain people could go certain places there in the temple. For instance, there was the court of the Gentiles, the outer court. The Gentiles could come in and they could sell things and they could be there. They could worship, but they could only go to the court of the Gentiles. And that was on the outside. There was the court of the women further on in the inside, a place where women could go. There was even a chamber for lepers, lepers who were healed. There was a, a room for them to be able to go in to have the priest examine them and, and to, see where, uh, to see if they were fully healed or not. There was then the, 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 the court for the, the Jewish men. If you were a Gentile man, no, you were outside. Even if you loved God and, and wanted to worship, you were outside the court. You weren't able to continue to progress. And then there was the, the holy place, and, and that's where the priests and the Levites, only priests and Levites were be able to go into the holy place. And then there was the ultimate, the holy of holies. And only once a year on the day of atonement could the high priest go past that veil, go, go into the holy of holies and would sprinkle blood in a ceremonial way on the mercy seat and would be in there only for a short time once a year and that is where the presence of God would be. And so, so and, and, and there was just the understanding of the holiness, the majesty of our God and that only one man could approach the presence of God in the holy of holies once a year and it was only just for a short period of time. And this is significant because when Jesus died, the veil was torn in two. And that was God, the God of this universe, God the Father, declaring the old covenant, the sacrificial system was done. That Jesus was the perfect, ultimate sacrifice. What was separating man and women and children and Gentiles and all people from God was our sin, and that sacrifice was perfect in Jesus, and Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus was better. And now that means that anyone, at any time, at any place, can have access to God, to the God of the universe. You can have access to him in here, in worship, in prayer. You can have it on your pillow when you are, 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 are crying out to God in prayer, when you're out walking, when you're working, whatever. You can have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, anytime, any place, access to God. Because Jesus is better, because that is what Jesus has done for us through his, his sacrifice on the cross. This is amazing, to have this kind of access. Our son, Nate, um, has a football page on Instagram and has over 13,000 followers. And, and uh, it's kind of interesting when all of a sudden he comes and he's like, yes! He says, I just got a shout-out or a like or, or I got a comment from a well-known football player. And, and usually to be well-known, you play in the NFL. And, uh, but he's had, had contact with some CFL, some NFL, as well as some, some promising college uh, players that, that are coming through the ranks through the, this Instagram page that he has, and, and it kind of excites him, and it, it's pretty cool. And, and I said, like, who is maybe kind of the, the biggest name person? Some of you who know football would know Adrian Peterson, and, and, and he had a little interaction with him through this social media site, and he's like, yes, this is good, this is cool. You know, and, and it's pretty cool to, to have contact, to have access to someone who you think is pretty popular. And, and, and I mean, I think we're all like that a little bit. I mean, I mean, 
there's going to be some of you who will no doubt when, when the prince and princess comes a little later this month, you're going to be there. You, you're going to want to have access. I mean, if you found out you could have a visit a little, or get a selfie with them, you'd be like, yes, that'd be awesome. That'd be cool. And, and social media especially allows you to have a lot of this access. that You can follow people. You can you know, even kind of have some interaction with them at times, just like through this uh, account that Nate has. I remember a number of years ago when we were pastoring in Alberta, we wanted to have a military appreciation um, event for uh, the military in our community as well as the veterans. I was the chaplain of the Legion there as well. Um, we had many military personnel in our town and they had gone through a rough time and, and uh, just with some of the things that were happening in Afghanistan, we had lost soldiers and, and so we wanted to have a way that we could thank our military for the work that they're doing and for their families and just honor them. And I thought, we should get Prime Minister Harper to come. Wouldn't that be cool, you know? And I thought, it's worth a shot. So I, I sent an email to the Prime Minister's office and, and just, you know, told him what we were having and we'd love to have him come, you know, like get on his, his little jet plane and come out to Gibbons, Alberta. You know, we'll find a landing strip for you somewhere, you know, and, and come and it'd be great to have him there, you know. And just thought, hey, you never know. Maybe the schedule will allow for it. Maybe you need some PR, you know, like who knows, right? And, and, uh, and, and we know that he also de desired to uh, be very thankful for, for the service of, of our people uh, who have served um, their nation so well. Well, he never came. But one day after I sent the email, I walked into my office and, and I, this is what I had. Or it, it's, I found it yesterday. I, I've saved it. Like, it's kind of sick. But, but I mean, it, it's also like, I remember being shocked that, that Katie, some, someone, prime minister's probably right-hand person, you know, a prime, from the prime minister's office, you know, you can't make it, but, you know, like, maybe you could get your local MP to come, and I'm just, you know, I'm just like, I have the phone number, prime minister's office, I could pick up that phone if I want, I can call her if I have any questions, and maybe I could even, you know, and, and I remember, that this is pretty cool, I mean, I've held on to that, and I, truth be known, I mean, kind of, you, you'll just think I'm sick, but I am, I kept that around on my desk just to be impressive, you know, so that if somebody came into my church office, they might see, oh, look, prime minister's office is calling our pastor, you know, and, and, and you're like, that's pretty cool to have access like that to, to someone, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, Pretty, pretty neat. I've saved that, and now I share this with you, and you just think, okay, you're just weird. You know, like, well, at least now you know what my family already knows. You know, but, but I thought it was pretty cool. But people, we need to understand, you and I have full-time access to the God of this universe. There's no veil. There's nothing except our sin that holds us back from enjoying an intimate, close relationship with the God of this universe. We also have an advocate. We have access, but we have an advocate, Jesus, who no longer, no longer do we need a once-a-year high priest, but we have a constant high priest seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding on our behalf. 1 Timothy 2.5, you can write down that reference. Sec, or 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus pleads on our behalf. He's in, that's why we pray to Jesus, because as we pray to Jesus, he takes that to the Father. And we have this kind of access. 
Incredible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, part of this building, this theology, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 4, 6 says, we can approach the throne of grace. We can approach God's throne with confidence and find mercy and find grace in our time of need. We can be confident, not arrogant, because this is a humbling truth. Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? We can have confidence that God is with us. We can go through life with this confidence that we have access, we have an advocate, and a little later on we'll see we have an anchor. So in light of all these amazing truths in the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews, and since we have this access and an advocate and an anchor, in verse 22 it goes on to say, so in light of all of this, in light of who Jesus is, Now let's do the following. There's three let us's, and I encourage you to be writing down these let us's because it tells us what we ought to do in light of this. So let us, verse 22, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the first thing he says, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, we can draw near because of the gospel, because of the sacrifice of Christ. We can have full assurance of our faith, not based on what we do. It's not based on how we feel. Let's face it, that so oftentimes our relationship with the Lord goes on on the basis of our feelings, right? And and that is no place to, to base it. We can have full assurance of our faith that we are saved, that we are in Christ. It's not through earning our way, but we have full assurance because of the blood of Christ, because his sacrifice was enough. And we come in this full confession and repentance before God when we come before him in that way, acknowledging that we have sinned, we are sinful people, but that Christ died in our place and we trust in this finished work of Christ with humble hearts, with thankful hearts. We can have full assurance of our faith. Do you have full assurance of your faith today? Do you know for certain, for certain that if you were to die today, this afternoon, that you would go to eternity in heaven. You can have full assurance of your faith. And it also says here that, or one song that, that we sing oftentimes, the song Christ Alone, love that one verse. May it set you free even today as I say, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Not, nothing that I've done to earn it, but all that he has done for us. The debt load that people carry in our nation, I mean, you hear the statistics. I mean, Charlotte and I will go walking in the evenings um, from time to time or somewhat regular basis, and and at times as we're walking around houses and different places and different streets, and I'm just amazed at the beautiful houses, amazed at, at the vehicles and the toys and the boats and all of these different things. I'm like, where do they get all the money from? The bank. I mean, most of this, in so many ways, it's been, I mean, in debt load up to their ears. And and you just think, wow, that's crazy. You know something that's even greater than, I think, the debt load that Canadians are carrying? It's the guilt load. We can walk around with so much guilt for our past, for mistakes, 
for our shortcomings, for things we said, things we did, things we said, or, uh, said that we wished we never said, or things that we never said that we wish we did. And we can live with so much guilt, and yet our guilt has been taken away. It's been sprinkled by, through the blood of Christ and have full assurance of our faith. Every sin carried away. Every sin forgiven. And so we can draw near. Now think about this for a moment. This is really important to think about, that, that the relationship that you have right now with God the Father, the relationship you have with Christ right now is the relationship that you have chosen. You have chosen the type of relationship you have. Either you have drawn near or you've been drawing away. God, God doesn't move. I mean, oftentimes people say, God feels distant. Who moved? You did. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He hasn't gone anywhere. But we're the ones that draw ourselves away. And it goes on to say, so cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In order for us to have this, this access and to have this advocacy on a fresh way and in an intimate, ongoing way is through clean hands and a pure heart while it's hard in this world. You say, it's hard with the family that, that, that God's given me. No, that's why we keep coming in humble repentance and dependency upon Him. We come in confession and we repent and as we do that, He washes it away again and again and we have this access. He is an advocate and so we can draw near. So let us draw near based on all of His knowledge of who Christ is, draw near to Him. Draw near to God, and we draw near to God as we draw near to Jesus. Second of all, let us hold fast. It says here, let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Tell me one thing that you can hold on to in our world today as a sure and a steady anchor. Who can you hold on to? I mean, your health? That can go over time, or it can go just like that. Possessions and finances, they can be here today and they can be gone tomorrow. Relationships, how many of you have ever been betrayed by a friend or a family member? Put your hand up if you've ever been betrayed. Yeah, a lot of you. Most of us, if we actually probably take time to think about it, we've all been betrayed or we've been let down and we've had a, a friendship go south, go sour, and, and it can happen within the body of Christ. It can happen, and if it has, well, you're in good company because Jesus was even betrayed by, by his very own, those who, who, who said that they loved him. We can have dear friends move away. Relationships come and relationships go. They move away or they may pass away, but the writer says, hold fast to the confession of your faith. Hold fast to your faith in Jesus. There is substance. It's real. It, we can be grounded in the life and death and burial and resurrection and ascension and session and intercession of Jesus for us. And so these people were being tempted. It was hard. It was tough. Maybe they weren't getting what they thought they would get in following Jesus and, and that was maybe their best life now. It wasn't happening. And so they were tempted to, to just turn away or to walk away. And, and he's telling them, no, keep going, because we have this sure and steadfast anchor. Here in verse 22, it is a reference back to this previous verse in, in Hebrews chapter 6, 19, that, that we hold on to, we hold on to this sure and this steady anchor. Don't lose hope, he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. 
It may be dark. It's difficult. And maybe you're even sitting here today and you're full of doubt. But hold fast. God cannot and he will not lie. He is a God that his truth is sure through the generations, through the centuries. We can trust his word 100%. And, and, and part of the whole basis of the first 10 chapters in Hebrews that we end up seeing is that, that Abraham, how he fulfilled the promises of God to Abraham completely, 100%. Did took a lot longer than Abraham thought. When he, he found out he was going to be the father of a great nation, he just thought it was going to just... He, old Sarah was going to get busy right away and, and stuff was going to, you know, the, the kids would start coming. And it did not. But God was sure and faithful to his promises. It's an anchor to our souls. And please know, whatever you're going through, Whatever it is that's haunting you, that's disturbing you, that's troubling you. His mercies are there for you. They're new every morning. You don't have to worry about it next week. His mercies, His grace is new and fresh every morning. We come to Him in humility. We come to Him seeking and He will fill. He will give you the strength for today. He'll give you new strength for tomorrow as we draw near, as we draw near to him, as we hold fast to the word of God. And that's why we push people, encourage people, be in the word of God. Bring your Bibles to church. Be studying the word of God individually in groups as we we get our group life happening, as small groups take place later on this fall, as we get them started officially and get them going. Be studying the word of God together. Hold fast. And then thirdly, we see another let us. And it says, let us consider one another. We need others in our lives. You can't do it alone. You can't. It says, and let us consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In light of who Christ is and what he has done for us, we are to consider and notice others. We are to love and encourage one another. We are to take time for one another. But you know what? This, this knocks up against us because naturally we are very selfish people. We're very self-centered. When, whenever we make a decision, when we, we, we try to figure out our schedules and different things, we also want to say, well, how is this going to benefit me? When, when we look at, at a friendship, a relationship, well, well what's going to be in it for me? Is there something for me? And that is just completely worldly thinking. That, that's not the way of, of what we're reminded about here. And Jesus set the example. The kingdom is so different. Kingdom living is so different. We are so very naturally selfish people. It's the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. But Jesus set that example. When he would walk into a room, it wasn't about, hmm, kind of looking at over case in the joint for the influential, for the rich, for, you know, the ones that he could kind of latch onto, or, or maybe just his old buddies, you know, hey, let's, let's talk about, you know, some of those, those past things. No, he, he looked for the hurting. He looked to see how he could serve others. Not to receive, but to give. That's the example that he set, and he said, so you do the same. He'd go to the hurting, to the lonely, to the, to the ordinary, and he'd even then pick up a towel, and he'd wash stinking feet. 
stinking dirty feet. He would take the role of a servant, and we are to do the same. Who can I be showing love to? Who can you be showing love to when you walk in to church on a Sunday morning throughout the course of the week? Who can you encourage by word or by action? Where can you serve others? Where can you serve the Lord? With Christ as an example, we are to stir and to provoke one another. You know, like when we hear the word, you know, stir one another, we're thinking, you know, just, you know, a light little stirring. Yesterday, Charlotte, we, we have raspberries producing, and so she, she wanted to um, make uh, something that her mom makes. It's called a raspberry jelly roll. And whatever the kind of mixture of the cake mix that she kind of uses, well, it's all from scratch. And, and I was trying to do some work, and she was blending. She was going with the blender on high in a steel bowl for a very long time. It was very loud throughout our house, and it was just going on and on and on and on, and, and it's just making this noise, right? But it was producing something good. There was a lot of provoking. There was a lot of stirring. So my job and our job for one another is to stir and provoke, and not a light little stirring. It's like, come on, let's get after it. Let's see how we can stir one another towards love and good works. We are to push one another in these areas. It's important. And we're not doing it to get check marks with God. We're doing it because of what he's already done for us. On the basis of these first 10 chapters, because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of the example of Christ, because of the instruction that Christ has given us. It's not to, to try to look good in, 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 in circles of friends or who, of people or of influence. No, we do it because our hearts have been changed. But it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require time. And all of it is when we consider what Christ has done for us and his sacrifice, when we are growing in that understanding, we become very free people to want to be able to serve God and to be able to give back in some way. And here's what we're told to do. Stir up one another towards love and good works. Yes, we come to church on a Sunday morning to worship and spend time in the Word, but it's also a time to roll up your sleeves get busy. And not just in physical things, set up or take down or whatever that might be. It's to serve others. It's seeing people in our community, giving and receiving people in the workplace, love and encouragement. And as we do this, it's actually a way that we can stay strong. He's telling, the writer of Hebrews is telling these people, do this, stir up one another, and, and be busy loving and serving one another and, and serving within the body of Christ. It will keep you from, from becoming lukewarm, and it builds a community around you. But in North America, we have this term, and, and, and I don't like it. I, I kind of understand it, but I, I, I still don't like it very much because we've taken a mindset from the world and we brought it into the church, and it's this term called church shopping. Oh, you know what, we're church shopping right now. And, and if you're church shopping today, welcome. You know, I mean, it, it, it's a statement we make, and yet there's, there's something behind it we have to be very careful about. Because when we actually go shopping, we're oftentimes looking for getting the best deal. 
where can I get the best deal, get the best bang for my buck? And, and uh, we recently, just this past week, had Charlotte's brother uh, visiting from Saskatoon, and, and uh, he and his family. And you have to want, understand something about Charlotte and her family. They love getting good deals. And so whether it's with coupons or two-for-ones or Groupons or Smart Betty or, or anything like this, if there's a way to save money, even if you have to drive across town to get something for $1.50 cheaper sometimes, you know what, it's well worth it because you're saving that $1.50 or whatever. I mean, this is important, you know, kind of thing to, to be able to do this. And so when they get together, oftentimes there's a lot of discussion about the good deals that they're finding here or there and some comparison. But it's also smart. Like, we will phone my brother-in-law and we will ask him, hey, we're thinking about buying this. What do you know about this? And he's already probably has done the research and knows these kind of things. We need to be good stewards of our money. And so it's smart to, to do that. And we want to make sure our money will go as far. We'll get as much as we can for as little as we can. We do that when, when we're looking for, you know, a, a cruise line to go with. We're looking for something with all the amenities and not be too expensive. We do that when it comes to, you know, hotels or whatever. We had... A, a very interesting experience one time with a hotel that we thought we were getting, thinking we were getting a great deal, but when we opened the, the bed and found hair and other stuff, um, it was just like, okay, this is not the best deal that we found, and yet we were kind of like, woohoo, got a good deal, $69 for this hotel. Yeah, um, yeah, we moved on. You know, and, and, but we'll look for these kind of deals and different things, and, and we want to get as much as we can for as little as we can. That mindset doesn't work within the body of Christ. It's not, how can a church serve me? It's, how can I serve the body? How can I serve Christ as I serve one another? I'm not doing this to serve others first and foremost. It's, it's to serve Jesus, to serve him. And a mark of a growing, maturing believer is someone who is understanding and practicing that when you serve in humility for God's glory, not yours, you understand that, yeah, a lot of times you're going to give more than you actually receive, and yet God gives to you reward and blessing that you can't even put into words. A joy and a satisfaction of, of being used by Him, of helping to forward His kingdom through our love, through our kindness, through our kind words, and in reaching out to someone we don't know, or, or picking up our picking up and, and carrying the load for people in, in different ways. And so this morning, I want to stir and I want to provoke you towards love and good works, that, that, that handout that you received um, that I'm sure all of you filled out um, by faith and, and, and seeing different ways that I can stir and provoke you not towards just getting a checklist and getting things done and, you know, like, whoo you know, doing the, these kind of things. No, this kind of thing is important to be a way that we can encourage the body of Christ. We can serve others in very practical ways. And, and so we, we've made it possible for you to be able to serve the Lord in this way. Encourage, encourage you to look at that and, and to, to turn it in at the info desk on your way out or, or go online or sign up or send an email or, or uh, just if you, in, in all of this, you're not, it's not a full-on commitment saying, oh, I'm committing for the next whatever for this. I want to know more. That, that will give you more of the information on that. These are ways that we can, can serve the body of Christ by encouragement and by loving one another. And then notice it says, not neglecting to meet together as some is in the habit, as is the habit of some. And you know what? I hear this a lot from people. Heard it this week at a restaurant talking to a server. The person said, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian, but I don't, but I don't need the church. I have certain hang-ups or issues or, or, or understanding of the church. And you can, you can love Jesus. You can love him sincerely. 
and not go to church. I won't deny that. But think about this. You also don't have to go home to be married. Right? You can still be married and never go home. You're just not going to have a very good relationship. You're going to have a a distorted relationship. And, And in the same way, we need the body of Christ. We're told here, don't neglect meeting together. And I'll admit, church is messy. It's difficult. It's not easy. Why? We're in a spiritual battle. We can at times be betrayed and disappointed and, and, and have our feelings hurt. And when that happens, we run to Jesus. We, we desire to work out those problems and those issues. I have not yet met a single Christian who can maintain over the long haul a growing, dynamic, fruitful Christian life making an impact for the kingdom of God and not be connected to the body of Christ. Because when we're connected, when we're meeting together, when we're, when we're uh, regular in this kind of thing, it, it, it allows for accountability and growth and to get to know others and for them to get to know you. That's for small group, group life. Ladies' Bible study, I don't know if you read it in, in the e-news, Lord willing, a, a, uh, later on in September, ladies' Bible study starting up. We have a men's study on Friday mornings. You need to take advantage, opportunity to study the word together, pray together. It's so easy to get off track, to get distracted. And we've been built for community, and yet the enemy loves to isolate us. Busyness, distraction, taking us away from fellowship. Sometimes it's personal failure or defeat. We've walked through hardships or different things have going on, and we just seem like, oh, you know, I, I can't face people. No, that's the time we need people in our lives. I always get concerned when I see Christian brothers and sisters step away from fellowship. When they get busy, when they get distracted, whether that's on a Sunday, whether it's a prayer night, when it's studies or different things. Again, this isn't, this isn't to, to, to bring guilt upon you. It is, it is a strong conviction. It's from the word of God. We are to be in relationship with one another. And there are seasons where there are good reasons to withdraw from fellowship. There are. But those seasons... But those reasons can't become long seasons. And we need others in our lives to know others, to minister to them, encourage them, stir them up, but then to have the same thing happen where we are known and we know others. And we're not to, God's word says, we are not to neglect this kind of a gathering. We're not to neglect gathering together the body of Christ. I read this story some time ago about an African village, how at night they would put their animals in a pen in the center of the town. They didn't have walls, but there was uh, uh, lions and other predators out there, and they were particularly having a, a difficult time with lions. And, and so they would put the animals in this pen in the center of town. In the day, they would release them and watch them, but it, this would allow people to rest, and, and the animals would be there in this pen. There would be community for them, I guess, and so they would be there. But what would happen is that the lions would come at night and would make sure that they were downwind, that their scent could be, would go to the area where these livestock would be and create some agitation, make them a little antsy, because they could smell. Humans couldn't smell. We don't have those kind of sniffers on us to be able to smell out a lion, but these animals would, and they'd be able to smell the scent of the lion. And then the lion, when he knew that his scent was, was, was going along with, with the nice little breeze that was flowing, he would let out a, a just quiet growls. Again, humans could very rarely ever hear it, but 
But the animals could and would continue to make, stir them up and make them antsy. And, and before you know it, one would jump out. They're getting afraid. They're getting concerned. Another would jump out and, and, and they would start spreading themselves out. And next thing you know, they're kind of wandering to and fro. They're becoming antsy. And as they move to the outskirts of town, the lion has a feast. Isolation, bringing fear. And the enemy loves to do that for us. Get us antsy, get us out of community, get us out of the pen through fear or through discouragement or whatever it is. And, 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 and we become vulnerable when we're isolated. And that's why Christian fellowship, encouraging one another, serving one another, strengthening and teaching one another through the word, being taught by the word. And it says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you agree our world is going wild? I think we already talked about that at the start of the message. Just watch the news. And it's only going to get worse. Unless there's a work of God in our city, in our, in our nation, around the world. And we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we need each other all the more. With ever-increasing uh, steadfastness in these areas to encourage and provoke one another is that we would be people who would be drawing near because we have access. We have an advocate. We have an anchor that we can hold on to in the storms and the trials of life. We can hold fast to the word of God. His, he does not lie. His, he is faithful to his word. And we consider one another. We live in community. Let's pray together. God, I pray that we would take these words here this morning and we would take and apply them in practical ways to our life. We would examine our lives and, and, and may we just not be checkmark Christians. That we do certain things and, and so we think we're good. May we, with ever-increasing desire and passion, draw near and near to you. And that we would come to, to know your power and strength through the word of God, through knowing we have this 24 hours a day, seven days a week access to you. And we would look for ways that we can spur, encourage, provoke one another towards love and good deeds. I thank you for this body of Christ. I thank you for the love that is experienced here week after week and throughout the week. And I just pray, though, it would increase. It would increase over and over again, that this would just be the most loving place here, um, God, that when people walk in these doors, we would love them with a genuine heart. We would pursue relationships with one another. We would give of ourselves to you and to the service of the King, and that we would walk with one another in authentic relationships. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name.